Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Veterans Care Association and Timor Awakening podcast. The Timor Awakening program is an 11-day immersive, holistic and peer-to-peer veterans program based in East Timor that has a singular vision, which is to promote the health and well-being of veterans and veterans' families. Due to the current restrictions from COVID-19, we are running slightly abridged programs on the Gold Coast uh, with the same vision and same aim. We're using these opportunities to sit down with our participants one-on-one and conduct podcast interviews to capture their story and their lessons learned and things that we can all learn from uh, as we as veterans and wounded healers move through our own journey and help others do the same. We're going to be covering a whole range of topics including defence transition, mental health, relationships, veteran suicide, PTSD and post-traumatic growth. Whether you're out and about or listening to this at home or driving in your car, we do trust that you'll learn a lot by listening to our participants. Thank you and enjoy. Alrighty, so I'm uh, sitting down with Doug Parry, who's just, just about to finish the Team War Awakening 14 program, and um, yeah, we're basically just taking the opportunity to sit down with folks and uh, gather people's stories, because everybody has an interesting story and a different take on things. So, Doug, thanks for giving us some of your time, Matt. Oh, you're welcome, Michael. And Matt, um, I guess just first and foremost, both for myself and anyone listening to this, is just uh, if, if you could give us a bit of a rundown on um, you know what your military experience entailed and, and where you served and what you did and all that kind of cool stuff, just to give us a bit of an oversight. Yeah, a bit of a nutshell. Well, I went uh, straight to Duntroon from uh, school. Right. I, I joined uh, from Newcastle, New South Wales. Yeah. Represent. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And headed, uh, headed down to uh, Duntroon in 75, uh, early 75. Uh, graduated in 79 and uh, went into the Ordnance School, RAOC. Right. Um, had, a, had a bit of a mixture of uh, regimental positions, command positions, and um, uh, went to Command and Staff College in 92. Yep. Um, and after that uh, was at the uh, RAOC Centre training people, so uh, officer training. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Bit of a highlight, I guess, was the posting prior to staff college. I was on staff at Duntroon as a company commander. Yep. It was a real buzz to work with new people coming through. Mm-hmm. And then my last position was at uh, Headquarters One Div, uh, okay. preparing for Timor with General Cosgrove and team, and it was awesome. It was a real good um, finish, best job, yeah. trained up for it, working headquarters. Yeah. Really loved it, and it was just time to get out. So uh, okay. I left the Army in 2000. Right, so 25, 26 years? Yeah, just on 26 years. Wow, okay, that's quite a quite a um, stretch of time, quite a chunk of any, anybody's life, isn't it really? Oh, look, it was a great life, yeah. um, but with young kids and uh, the way the situation was at the time, I was really ready to get out. Yeah. Okay, yeah. On a high point. Got out while, while things were good. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. And talk us just a little bit. Um, you know, we'll, we'll borrow down on different parts of your career um, potentially as we go through the interview. But just um, what sort of have you been doing doing since that time? That twenty years. Yeah. So uh, I left the army and immediately went in and uh, worked in, uh, I guess you'd call it logistics operations, yep. running a small uh, university campus in um, Mitchelton in Brisbane. All oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And what's that? Uh, you still doing that to this day? Uh, well, yeah. So um, the reason I was recruited was with Australian Catholic University yeah. and they needed a logistician to work yeah. with the existing operations team to transition the university from ba- uh, Mitchelton yep. across to Nudgee, Banyo. Right. So there was a new campus commissioned, much larger, the complexities of the juggling the pieces, mm. just mm. like a military deployment. Um, I wasn't responsible for the buildings, but it was getting 
the moving parts into place over a Christmas break. Okay. And it worked. It was great. Yeah. So I did that until 2005. And uh, at that point I had a bit of a crash and burn, mm. just stress-related mm. and, uh, you know, things that happen and uh, was uh, decided to go into business with my wife. So my wife had an accounting practice and uh, I started a body corporate management firm with her. Long story, but mm. that's what happened. Yep. And uh, ran that till 2016 when we sold it, mm-hmm. and now I'm retired. How about that? It's awesome. It's quite a life. And uh, so, what? Um, it sounds like you, you kind of pivoted and transitioned quite quickly because a lot of people get out of the military and there's a period of time where they're potentially lost or you know doing different jobs. It sounds like you, um, well, not necessarily landed on your feet, but perhaps you were, you know you planned this quite well. It sounds like. Um, yeah. Well. My focus in that last year of service mm. was doing the operational planning, uh, sorry, logistic planning uh, for Timor. For Timor. Mm. Um, and that, that was a real buzz. Um, and it was tied up with a whole lot of other things that I guess we shouldn't talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what that meant was I wasn't looking too hard for what I did afterwards. Um, but no, it might have sounded easy and I made it sound easy, mm. but look, I applied for lots of jobs. Right. And... Um, Cracked it somehow. Yeah. Had no idea why or what happened. And um, it really suited me with the sort of work I'd been doing. It was a relatively low-level job, I suppose, when I look at my peers who got out. But it suited me down to the ground. Mm. And what rank were you when you got out? A major. Major. Okay. Nice. And so um, since that time, it sounds like there's been you know some highs and some lows and some wins and some and some challenging times. What um, you know, you've you've just finished this uh, this program with Timor Awakening, which is not what this podcast is essentially about. But um, I guess circling back to that, like what what has brought you here? What what, what sort of made you want to come and do a program like this? Yeah, sure. Well, um, I've served in that intervening period between, say, Vietnam, mm. well after the end of Vietnam through to the, the massive amounts of deployments that happened after 2000. Mm. Um, and so I didn't feel I had a lot to contribute and life's been pretty smooth. So I went, hmm, is there something wrong? But there's been issues in my life, um, not the least of which was uh, alcohol right. and um, had to deal with that. So I've got a close relationship or relatively close relationship with Gary Stone. We've known each other for many years mm-hmm. through service on and off and through... In being my local in my local church when I was at the Gap, so uh, Gary just said, "Would you consider coming along?" And I went, oh, "It's not for me. Mm-hmm. I don't need it." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I didn't deploy to Timor, so that misunderstanding was resolved. Uh, I had some interviews, and uh, I found myself here, and it's the best thing I've done for mm. a real long time. Yeah, right. right. And there's a few things you mentioned there that's quite common. I think a lot of veterans think that, um, you know, they're not entitled or not worthy of reaching out for help or, you know, w- would be stealing someone else's position because if they went to Iraq three times or went to Indovet, uh, followed by a whole suite of deployments. But it's definitely, it's not the case. Um, not only for how we do business in this program, but also in terms of how um, you know, things like PTSD and stress and anxiety and depression and all a whole suite of other things out there can affect people. Um, it's just as much and then sometimes even more for people who never deployed at all. I think when I attended the, uh, um, the what was it called again, PTSD forum in 2017, they said statistically it was 59% of people who had PTSD had never deployed. Wow. 
Well, it certainly hits you, and I wouldn't lay claim to, you know, being a full-blown PTSD, but there have been incidents. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah when it hit me, mm. whatever hit me, hit me, it was like a bus. So I was, right. uh, I was just out of play. I, okay. I just couldn't continue working in that environment that I was in. And, uh, yeah, within the realms of what you're happy to talk about, I don't want to dredge up anything here any, any more than um, we might already being, but uh, what was key for you at that point? Like, how did you get through that? What was the, what did you learn out of it? Well, crikey, <laughs> lessons learned. Yeah. What a debrief. So um, really the issue was uh, I was well on the path to alcoholism um, when I left the army. Uh, I was a... I would say heavy drinker. Um, you know, when it was time to front up for duty or something, it was fine, but uh, I enjoyed a drink. And uh, when I found myself uh, working with uh, people who just didn't, in my view, have the professional ethics of uh, military people, uh, and in fact were completely alien to me working in an academic civilian environment, um, I became rather stressed. I thought I was Superman. Right. to take on the world, do everything, and I just drove myself into the ground to the point where uh, I was definitely drinking too much. Uh, there was an issue with the family, and it was like, do something. So I went to AA. Um, that really helped, but it didn't work. Um, so I checked into rehab. Mm-hmm. So I went into rehab at Corumban and did the program there, and it progressed me to the point where I could actually not drink and not want to drink. And uh, I haven't had a drink since 2007. Wow. Congratulations. That's awesome. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That's, uh, it sounds like you really just did um, make the decision to reach out for help. You knew that w- what was out <laughs> there, like maybe not instantaneously, but you, you sort of got to a – you drew the line in the sand and went, okay, I need to go get some help. Uh, I didn't know – had no choice really. Right. It was like – if I didn't do that, my life would be very, very different. Um, and without too fine a point, I'd probably not be here now. Yep. Yep. Which is not uncommon. Yep. Sadly true. I hear that. Well, look, I really appreciate you you know, sharing that with us and uh, having the, the courage and the vulnerability to, to share that because, you know, I think um, especially with people who served as an officer, I think sometimes there's this tendency to – want to bury that down even more you know because there's this sense of you know having to set the example or whatever the belief is i don't know but um you know we it is we're noticing that this does affect people of all ranks Mm. and of all backgrounds and uh yeah i really really appreciate you sharing that well i'm not claiming exclusivity to it and Mm. uh, you know on the program it sort of showed me that it's been great yeah yeah what's if, if you could go back to your sort of pre-transition self, yourself, you know, 2000, Timor's sort of flaring up. Um, You did some great work and you had some things lined up. What what would you say to yourself um, based on what you've learnt, not only on this program but in the last 20 years? Um, That you can take it on but I don't have – I didn't have to do everything. I had nothing to prove Mm. yet I was trying to prove things to myself I was looking, I guess, for external validation, you know, to be acknowledged and recognised, mm-hmm. and I sacrificed a lot for that. Mm. It's just not worth it. Yeah, that's what I'd say. Wow. So prove nothing to no one, you're good enough. Yeah. I'll be writing that down. <laughs> <laughs> prove nothing to no one, you're good enough. And I, and I think that's, uh, 
that's something that a lot of us turn to the military for, I think, in the initially, like going back. You know, why did why does one join the military in the first place? Well, one there's a whole range of potential reasons, but one of them, I believe, is for that exactly what you said: external validation. Yeah, and the, the comradeship and the mateship. Yeah. Yep. It's just incredible. Yep. You get the support. Um, look, no matter what a pain in the butt you might become to your fellow officers or fellow, you know, your unit or whatever, um, you know, as long as you're on track and not taking people off the track, mm-hmm. you you get the support. The support's there. Yep. Yeah, and on the outside, it's not like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's probably where I'd put it. The support's just not there that you get. And so you don't have that uh, built-in, I don't even call it support, it's like a group of people around you travelling in the same direction with a clear objective. Mm. Um, and at the end of the day, you can actually hang up your boots and say, we achieved X, yep. as opposed to uh, same old, same old, one day is the same as the next, same as the next, same as the next. Mm-hmm. You have 30 years' experience in certain jobs and it's like one year repeated 30 times. It's just, right. it's just crazy. And on the, on the topic of support, um, you've mentioned a couple of things there, Alcohols Anonymous and the, you know, the Rehab Institute in uh, Corumba. Yeah. What, other, what other support networks have you found to be effective, whether it's for yourself or other veterans you know of, um, for the range of different challenges they've got? Oh, look, um, did some work with a group called Executive Excellence. And uh, I'm still working with them as they're creating a new organisation to support veterans through trekking. Right. Um, so that's that's going on in Brisbane. Uh, I've been associated with the RSL yep. uh, as um, sub-branches mm-hmm. and um, working at that level. And I'm currently uh, in a sub-branch down at uh, the Gold Coast area and uh, I have a position on the board there. Um, but, of course, COVID has really mm. sort of cut things down and uh, I'm really concerned that there's a lot of veterans, particularly the older ones, you know, the, the treasures we've got, the Vietnam vets in particular, mm. who are in a situation where they're homebound. Uh, it's really tough for them. So, And, of course, anyone who can't get out and do what they need and access the services that they've wanted at times, mm. that would apply to anyone with a need. So that is a real concern for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Beyond that, uh, I did a number of civilian programs. I did a lot of work when I was running the body corporate management business. So within that, there were the professional organisations, but that was all on work, definitely not on uh, personal development. Um, And uh, there's a group called Landmark Education, Mm -hmm. which uh, I have did a number of courses with, and that was good, but it it was more in personal development. It was... Definitely nothing to do with my recovery. So it assisted my recovery um, and elevated my performance. However, it wasn't for the purposes of recovery. Okay. So that sort of thing, the personal development space maybe helped uh, develop other areas of your life but not the the crux of what you were trying to move through at that time. Yeah. The basic level, the the very early course, the forum, really did help me get in contact with what was going wrong in my life yep. um, and then developed from there. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, awesome. Well, thanks for sharing all that. And I guess, um, you know, what you've been involved with a lot of stuff. Like you, you've really, you know, you've got great perspective of what is and is, and is not out there in terms of veteran support and so forth. What do you think is the main thing that's missing at the moment? Uh, someone, not me, has, has had a saying that um, – 
a lot of the traditional resources in treating human beings, the, the Western medical resources, really focus on brokenness. Like there's something broken, fix it. Put a Band-Aid on, um, take a drug, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In other words, look at what's broken, make it work. But that just restores you to a functioning machine, well, mechanically functioning. Um, the approach of uh, VCA, Veterans Care Australia, and um, the TA14 group really looks on, you're okay, you're all right, you're a human being, and just parts aren't going well. So it's more holistic. So you look at things like your diet, um, exercise naturally enough, yep, yep, um, yep. which is a bit of a traditional one, but there's also um, the peer-to-peer support. So having people like... You've got mates in RSL and you've got mates in doing various things, but I think Australian males in particular, mm. and I'm not in contact with a lot of recent female veterans, mm. uh, although I'm married to a veteran, mm. um, the men bottle it up. I know I bottle the crap up and you don't talk to blokes about it. Yeah. Right. So, so peer-to-peer support mm. in this safe environment has just been awesome. Yeah. And how do you see that... Um yeah, you know, how, how can we, I guess, scale that or get that out there more so? Um, programs like TA, um, whether it is through VCA and TA, but actually expand that, uh, make it available to um, people out there, but actually have um, veterans mm-hmm. and people who, whether they need it or want it, just getting people along who maybe don't think they need it, mm. along with others who were there. Because my experience at uh, the Corumban Clinic, I might say, I was thrown in with drug addicts and hearing stories of, well, quite frankly, personal and sexual abuse mm-hmm. that men suffered uh, in their youth. I went, holy crap, I think I've got problems. <laughs> mm. Like I had none of that and nothing that really happened to me in my part of the military um, would border on that you know i got involved in things that were probably well would be frowned upon in this day and age Mm. but it was just minor stuff Mm. um i think um but it makes me think about uh peers uh and others who i knew through the early stages particularly at duntroon it's like wow i did something like that wonder what impact that had on others Mm. then Mm. um and just going forward uh once i was commissioned you know, you, you witnessed things and heard things like act, accidents would happen, training accidents in particular, mm. and um, not really identifying with, wonder what the impact on the witnesses were, the guys that pull people out of a chopper, etc. And it's like, well, got to get in contact with those blokes. Yep, yep. And, um, yeah, thanks thanks for all the stuff you're sharing. It's really, really impactful stuff. And I, I'm always trying to... Wonder in my own mind what someone listening to this is thinking, you know what I mean, and, and how what the next so do I. right question is. And I think what's unique about uh, – well, not unique, but I think the angle that you bring to this is just that if there are other high-ranking, you know, people out there who are potentially hiding because you know, they see that the the bulk of the ESO community and the veteran help community is really looking at the – you know, ORs and, and, you know, senior NCOs and so forth with a few officers here and there. If there was somebody listening to this, someone who was, um, you know, fairly senior in whatever position there was that isn't reaching out, 
because of you know reputations or, or not wanting to um, you know tarnish anything what would you be your message to them um, well it's not like tough it out or man up that's just completely inappropriate language it's um, look you might need it but you might be the one that breaks the ice for people that are holding back yeah. right Amazing. Thanks so much, mate. We'll just... All right, Doug, thanks for everything you've been sharing. I think we might just wrap up with um, a couple more questions. I guess, uh, you know, what, what would be what would you say is the most important, most sort of aha moment that you've had recently in terms of um, things to help you in with your health and on, on your journey? Uh, I'll probably say two. I will say two things. Yep. One was uh, the impact of uh, yoga. Right. And, and breathing mm-hmm. and really getting the, uh, the key notion of pausing to breathe and not and as part of that whole thing, getting in contact with what's actually happening, what, not what I think is happening, which is a big trap for me, and then being able to respond to a situation, a question, an action or something, rather than react um, you look, liken it to say an IA, you know, whoop, contact front down, run to a crawl, observe, yep, yep, like, yep. whatever. No, that's like a drill. Life is not a drill. It just doesn't work. So that's a real big one. And the other one is pretty personal. It's uh, assuming uh, the support I have from my partner, um, not taking into account how she might feel about things when I'm doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just uh, the impact of me being the strong, silent type yep. and not communicating my feelings uh, when she needs it. So working on my empathy yep. uh, and then that will come across and uh, fit me up to be able to uh, work and support my peers. And when I say peers, anyone ex-military yep. and, in fact, police, uh, fireys, etc. Yep. Those people who really are left out of the equation, I think, because they don't have the DVA support. They've just got compo or something. I think so too, and they're they're sort of on the front line all the time. You know, in the military life, you might do many, many years and never be on the front line at all, or maybe only uh, for a brief moment. Whereas these guys are Mm. those guys need day in day out. Yeah, even while they're still serving. Well, in fact, we need we veterans while we were serving, could have done with some of that stuff too, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Mate, um, just to wrap up, what's next for you? What's uh, what's on the horizon for yourself? Well, probably the highest priority will be integrating a program of wellness, which we developed during this last week, bringing that into my life and, and actually getting out of my shell and talking to uh, veterans, whether those they're veterans I know, mm. uh, have known from past service or... Um, you know, where there's a need, just being available to be a, a support, a mechanism to link people into resources. Like, you know, we've been exposed to other resources here. Um, some are, let's just say, on the realms of... Uh, I, I'm a Catholic, uh, so some of them are in the spiritual realm, but not just the religious spiritual realm. Some are there, but then there's all of the organisations that have been set up in recognition of issues in society. So... You know, use the word suicide, um, you know, starting to identify the, the triggers that might have someone thinking about that, including, quite frankly, my own children. Mm. You, know, you know, 
I've known military personnel whose children have suicided. It's like, wow. It's tragic. Um, so letting people know what uh, – being aware of those resources and not being afraid to say what needs to be said when it needs to be said and take the risk that it'll be not heard. Um, mm-hmm. If it's not heard, at least have tried. Yep. But if it's heard and it's needed, you'll save the life. Yeah. No. The interview you've just given us may have done just that, mate. So thanks so much for everything you've done. And uh, no Michael. My pleasure. This has uh, been very informative. So thanks so much. Cheers, mate. Anyway. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We trust it's been valuable. If you've got any comments or questions, feel free to reach out to us at support at veteranscare.com.au. And we do encourage you to share this podcast with anyone you feel really needs to hear it. And keep a lookout for our next episode. Thank you.